Well, good morning, fellowship. Uh, I join Mandy in uh, welcoming you to uh, our worship this morning. Uh, for those of you who may be guests, my name is Lloyd Shadrach. I'm one of the teaching pastors at Fellowship alongside Rob Sweet, who's our lead pastor. And uh, I know we have visitors that come either online or you can be here in the room. Um, we, uh, we are one church in two locations. And so as we gather here at Franklin this morning, um, there's a congregation that's gathering, you know, up the road in Brentwood, same time, but on the Brentwood campus. Um, for those of you who are thinking, oh, you know, well, okay, this has got to be a creative moment for Lloyd. You know me and you're going, okay, Lloyd's going to walk out in a minute, you know, and this is just the introduction that he's doing. Um, I, I, this is going to be it for this morning. I will be online with you. It's it's not a creative introduction. I'm going to, we're going to be, uh, I'm going to come into you from Cottonwood in Franklin, and uh, I'm coming to you from back porch. I've always wanted, honestly, to teach. Uh, I always wanted to teach from the back porch, and so I'm getting to do that. I have a reason to do that today. Um, it's uh, it's coming up on two weeks now, but um, you know we can uh, over a week ago. Um, our two girls, both students in Knoxville, came home. They had something going on. For the weekend, they came home on a Wednesday night. And so late that Wednesday night, they came home. Now, earlier that day, they had both been tested uh, for COVID. Uh, they ha they're in a sorority in Knoxville, and uh, a girl had tested positive. So many of the girls need to get tested. So with them coming home, Lisa and I were super careful. Uh, they wore masks, no hugs, no kisses. Um, uh, late Wednesday night, you know, we welcomed them home. Uh, Thursday, they found, we found out that one of them uh, had tested positive and the other one negative, both of them asymptomatic. And uh, I can tell you, they, you know, one's back at school, the one that tested positive is back at school. She never has, has had any symptoms, uh, asymptomatic. And then uh, Sally, who tested negative, Susan positive, Sally negative, uh, Sally's uh, had, had another negative test and she is asymptomatic. Lisa and I have, um, have no symptoms, but we thought it best um, to uh, have me teach from here. So that's why I'm teaching from my porch. And, and again, I, I'm glad I get teaching from my porch. Now, I'm, look, I'm looking at an iPhone, my iPhone, um, and uh, who knows what's going to happen over the next 30 minutes as, as I teach. You know, I'm sure if we had the, the team here, they would have said, ah, you need to take down the deer over your shoulder. I'm going to leave Mr. Deer up, and uh, you can take a look at him and know that he's taking a look at you the whole time that I'm teaching. Carrie Newhoff. Uh, is the founder of Connexus Church up in uh, uh, Canada, just north of Toronto. Um, he's the author of numerous books. He's one of these um, culture watchers uh, from a church perspective, um, just has a keen eye on what's going on within the church, within the culture, how they're interacting. In my reading, as I was preparing for this message, I came across a statement he wrote that uh, it may just made me pause, uh, made me angry, it made me sad. And I sat with it, made me glad, because obviously when you hear something that opens up other things to you, we can be grateful. And so I share this with you. He writes, quote, the problem with so many non-Christians isn't that they don't know any Christians. The problem is that they do. I'm going to read that again. The problem with so many non-Christians isn't that they don't know any Christians, <clears throat> excuse me, the problem is they do. 
And what Newhoff's trying to help us see is that, you know, our behavior as Christians, uh, the choices we make, the, the, the things that we do, where we invest our time, what we say no to, how we talk to people, how we talk about people, uh, where we go, where, you know, all of our, our life is way louder than what we say, hey, I'm a Christian or I follow Christ. And unfortunately, what many non-Christians see is not biblical Christianity. And I'm not talking about Christians in Canada. I'm talking about Christians right here uh, in our community and town. What they see often is an American, you know, <clears throat> kind of a cultural Christianity, <clears throat> which could be, you know, it can kind of get slotted into, you know, you know, conservative evangelical, you know, that kind of goes Republican or social liberal, and that kind of goes democratic. And just me saying those two words in our context of today has some of you going, where is he going with this? Let me tell you where we're going. We're going to go to the Sermon on the Mount. For it's in the Sermon on the Mount that we get the most definitive, the, the clearest picture of what a human being who is following Jesus looks like. Forget all the other labels. Here's the descriptions, the description from the words of Jesus. Now we're in the Sermon on the Mount and our hope is that over the next six months, as we go verse by verse through Matthew 5, 6, and 7, that individually and corporately, you all as a church, we will align more and more not with outside labels, but what Jesus says of a Christ follower in the Sermon on the Mount. And, I, and our prayer is that our, our lives would, um, rather than being a stumbling block when people go, you know, that, oh, that's what a Christian is and it doesn't line up with what they know or sense of the scripture, our lives would become an appetizer, honestly, that lead people to the full banquet table of Jesus and wholehearted life in him. So Rob last week uh, began the, 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 the practical exposition of the sermon after I gave the invitation the week before with eight characteristics of the person uh, who's following Jesus. Uh, each begins with the word blessed or blessed. You know, we're going to kind of bounce around with that. Uh, the Latin for that word was beatus, which is where you get beatitudes. Um, it, it meant happy. It, it's probably the simplest, cleanest meaning. Uh, in the Greek, the word is makarios. Um, it means well off. Uh, Rob said that, that this, this, it, it means to be in a really good place. That's makarios. That's blessed. We can say uh, flourishing. <laughs> that's another word we can use. Flourishing is the person who is this. Rob covered the first four. There are eight. Um, I'm going to pick up the last four this morning. Uh, the Beatitudes are a complete unit, as is obviously the sermon, and so I can't encourage you enough to watch Rob's message, because I'll, I'll say this in a moment. They, um, the, the Beatitudes built upon one another themselves, even as the whole sermon built upon itself. want to stay in those messages. Let's take your Bibles if you have them, and uh, if you're not there yet, we're in Matthew 5. I'm going to start with verse 7. We'll just take these four, and then I'm going to give you some application 
at the end. Follow along in your Bibles, Matthew 4, beginning in verse 7. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Uh, think of mercy as compassion in action. Um, it's not merely, you know, it's not just a feeling of um, sorrow or empathy for someone in need. It's, it's that emotion connected to the action that helps someone. It's people who are helpless and hopeless. Uh, and it's another person showing mercy, i.e., coming to address their helplessness and their hopelessness. Of course, you know, mercy is a lot like grace. Think about grace as unmerited favor. We don't deserve what we get. Um, and of course, we are born in sin. We deserve separation from God. That's what our sin earns us. Uh, we can't do anything about it. And so God in his grace, right, unmerited favor, acts on our behalf. Now, Mercy is, is like the flip side of grace, or you could just say it flows from grace, or it's the other side of the coin of grace, however you want to view this. But mercy is us being helpless and hopeless. Honestly, the, the, the word is miserable is kind of the thought in that, a miserable place. And God seeing our misery and God choosing to act to alleviate that misery. Um, Psalm 51, 1 and 2, David is speaking, and this highlights our need for mercy coming from God's grace. David wrote, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy. Blot out my transgressions, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. God is merciful. If you have put your trust in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, then, then you have received that mercy. Um, if God were not merciful, gracious and merciful, we would be left in our sin. So he's acted to save us. That's his mercy. Jesus says it's, you know, those who are merciful receive, get back mercy. And it can lead us to, to think, well, Gosh, if I'm not merciful, then I won't get God's mercy. And we've got to be really careful when we look at this and other parts of the sermon, even, even of the Beatitudes, because it could lead us to thinking, okay, we got to do something to get something from God, which could lead to a very much a, you know, i got to work for my salvation, and that is not the case at all. So let's be very careful how we understand, even as this phrase, as Jesus says, it's those who are merciful who receive mercy. I want you to remember the characteristics we're looking at in this passage, the Beatitudes, and the sermon as a whole, but in these Beatitudes, it's not describing how a person gets into a relationship with God. It's not describing how this is how you get in the kingdom. It's describing a person in the kingdom, in the kingdom, and this is what that person looks like. It's what they think. It's how they act. It's how they feel. It's what they do. So this is a person, we could say it this way. Now, it's not, in, in this context, it's not saying this, but we understand it this way. So for our day, it's a person who's trusted Christ. It's a person who is a son or daughter of, of, of the king by faith in Jesus Christ. And this is what that person does. This is how that person lives. So again, if you're a follower of Christ, um, being merciful, the Christian is as normal as breathing. People who are alive breathe. 
People who are in the kingdom are merciful. Which means this, and I'll shorten it in a phrase. The mercy you show is the mercy that you know. I'll say it again. The mercy that you show is the mercy that you know. If you find yourself not merciful or inconsistent or, you know, it's not there. I mean, it's not perfect, but you know, it's not a part of your character. The question is not, I need to be merciful. The question is always, have you experienced God's mercy? For until you do, you won't show the kind of mercy that Jesus is speaking of here. The mercy you show is only the mercy you know. And therefore, the question on mercy is, have I received it from God having trusted Christ? Okay, let's go to the blessed are the pure. So the one, two, three, four, this is the fifth. Uh, Beatitude, verse eight. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Jesus is saying here um, that to be in God's presence you know, to be in relationship with God, to, to see God, uh, it requires a person be pure in heart. Uh, so it's not just keeping all, you know, the person who keeps all the rules will see God. No, it's, it's actually, it's the person who keeps all the rules outwardly and inwardly. And now, now you got to understand, it's, like, it's about being pure in attitude, in motives, uh, in thought. Uh, Jesus, no doubt, strong upon again the words of David in Psalm 15, where David asked, O Lord, who shall sojourn in your tent? Who shall dwell on your holy hill? He who walks blamelessly and does what is right and speaks truth in his heart. Um, when we think about the requirement, pure in heart, you know, there's certainly a part of me that goes, I don't stand a chance. And that in part is the purpose here, not the only purpose. I've never forgotten the words from one of my seminary professors, Stanley Toussaint. He was a, he was a saint, no pun intended, in his mid-70s when I had him. And he's just one of those human beings who, in, in this profound humility, compassion, just exhibited godliness. And I, I never forget, I wrote this down when he said it. I was in class one day, and I forget what passage he was teaching, but he just said, quote, he said this, I have never had a pure motive in my life. And I remember going, oh my gosh. And then I thought, my, my life kind of flashed for me, and I went, neither have I. I was in my mid-30s at the time, and Dr. Toussaint's vulnerability said, I never had a pure, we're talking pure motive in my life. It, it enabled me to recognize I hadn't, nor will I ever, that the battle with sin and thoughts and motives, that those, those will remain even though I'm in Christ. And it gave me the freedom to recognize that, oh my goodness, in and of myself, I won't either. 
And yet I've got to have absolutely pure motive. It's got to be pure inside of me to be in the presence of God, to see God, which obviously moves us toward the gospel. That um, it's an impossible task to have a pure heart. Only can only receive one. And of course, that's what we get when we place our faith in Christ. The new covenant, we receive a new heart. Only the pure in heart see God and only in Christ are our hearts made pure. No one, no one will see God uh, if they only bring the heart they were born with, which is, gets to Jesus' words of being born again. Okay, let's go to the, the seventh beatitude or where are we, five, six, seven, uh, Verse 9, uh, the peacemakers. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Seventh Beatitude. Uh, I can't define biblical peace better than William Barclay does in, in his comments on this passage. Now, I've spoken of peace in other messages, Rob, as well, and it's so rich. I love the way he captured it in this paragraph. When we think of peace, biblical peace. Barclay writes, in Hebrew, peace is never only a negative state. It never means only the absence of trouble. In Hebrew, peace always means everything which makes for a man's highest good. In the East, when one man says to another, salam or shalom, which is the same word, he does not mean that he wishes for the other man only the absence of evil things. He wishes for him the presence of all good things. In the Bible, peace means not only freedom from all trouble, it means enjoyment of all good. You know, when we think of peacemakers, um, I know with personality temperament tests and all these things around right now, you think of, you know, oh, you're a peacemaker, you know, a title can be put on people. is the, the calm one, you, you calm everything down. You're just so at ease in the midst of chaos. My own personality, you know, I'm, I, I'm, I'm a peacemaker in, in a lot of these things. Um, but the reality, y'all, is my peacemaking is more passivity than it is peacemaking. I, I, I just shrink back from conflict. I, it's hard. I, I just would rather just go. I just I'll live with you know I'll live with it. But I don't. I can't resolve the conflict. I don't want to get back in there to resolve those things. And that's not a peacemaker. I'm not a peacemaker in that. Um, Biblical peacemakers, and Jesus is describing here, are actually, I want you to think about this, they're probably some of the most irksome, irritating, um, can I say bothersome people in, in your life or mine because they're peacemakers, which means they, they work to bring reconciliation between God and, and, and people, between people and people. Uh, if you want to know what you know a peacemaker looks like, you need to look no further than Jesus, the ultimate peacemaker who secured our peace with God vertically and secures our ability to make peace with one another. And if you think about Jesus as a peacemaker, he was far from a wallflower. He was far from passive. I mean, think about this. He's a peacemaker, and he made a lot of enemies. He upset a lot of people. Peacemakers are called sons of God in, in the sense that 
not salvific, like you're a son or daughter of God. Here it's speaking of peacemakers are carry the characteristic of God. You know, a son of encouragement, you know, Barnabas, because he carries that character of encouragement. So this is son of God in the sense of those who work to make peace are very much in character with their God, who is the ultimate peacemaker. So now the eighth, the attitude, look at verses, it's verses 10 through 12. The persecuted, follow along in your Bibles. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Note the book in here because theirs is the kingdom of heaven, which is how the whole section began with poor in spirit. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You see the bookend on, on that. Blessed are you. He goes to, to, to first person. Now he's not blessed are those. Blessed are you. When others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account, rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Jesus is saying nothing less than this, you all. If you're following me, like you know, if I'm going this way and you're following me, you'll know how closely you're following me by the measure of the persecution that's directed at you because you're following me. He reiterates that he's not talking about life is hard. Bad things happen to you. Oh, unfortunate things happen to you. This is not persecution. He's talking about mistreatment that comes your way because you are following me. about things being in reverse. Remember Rod said, everything's in reverse or everything's upside down. When you are persecuted for, for following Jesus, taking a stand for Jesus, speaking of Jesus, living like Jesus, he says, you're in a really good place. Blessed. Um, talk about upside down. Um, and, you know, when, when, uh, People mistreat you because of me. That's awesome. You know, this is what Jesus is saying. Nothing less than this. That uh, Here's the idea of actually leaping for joy. Um, that's where, you know, it says rejoice and be glad. By the way, present tense, which means keep on rejoicing, keep on being glad. And y'all, it, it, it literally means jump for joy when you're mistreated for following me, lest you think I'm even speaking in hyperbole, I want you to take a real life example of this and we can do that by looking at the book of Acts. Here the apostles have been uh, in prison. Uh, I want you to know this, they, they weren't, here's, all, here's what they were doing. They were telling people about Jesus, who he is and what he has done. They weren't fighting somebody, they weren't marching, they weren't protesting, you know, nothing against any of that. I'm just saying they weren't doing that. They weren't going out in that way. They were proclaiming Jesus. They were jailed. They were beaten, which means 39 lashes, which means their backs are probably bleeding, clothes certainly torn from those lashes. And in Acts 5, we actually see what happens when they are released. Acts chapter 5, verses 40 and 41. They called in the apostles and had them flogged. Then they ordered them never again to speak in the name of Jesus, and they let them go. Here we, here we go with the apostles. The apostles left the high council rejoicing 
that literally leaping for joy that God had counted them worthy to suffer disgrace for the name of Jesus. Same Greek word that we find in our passage in Matthew. I don't want us to miss what this particular beatitude is telling us about the person who follows Jesus, the life of faith. Um, it's, you know, the, the kind, you know, if it's blessed, if it's flourishing, it's a good place to be. It's, it's the life we're made for and want. It says this, genuine happiness and fulfillment in this life requires, requires a certain measure of pain, loss, and mistreatment. I want you to think, think about that. The pain, pain, loss, and mistreatment most of us spend our life trying to avoid, minimize, and get rid of pain, loss, and mistreatment. But to follow Jesus is to, is to have it. It's to invite it. Many have noted that the Beatitudes, you think about this starting in verse 3, blessed are the poor in spirit, and then it's the blessed are those who mourn, blessed are the, blessed are the meek, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst, that it's a ladder and that it takes us to a pinnacle of sorts. Um, and when we see it in that literary framework, it means Jesus is saying this. He's saying, when you're persecuted for following me, life doesn't get any better than this. It's yes. Talk about an upside down world. Talk about a life that the world will take notice of. I've got some questions for application. Um, normally, we're going to have a few. I've got four, which is a little mini on the you know on that side, but because um, it's all to be attitudes in a sense. Of, but as, as I grab these four, I want to give you at least four places to go in your own application. I'm going to ask the, I'm asking you to ask the spirit to show you which of these, excuse me, resonates with you. Which, which do you feel the spirit kind of going, hmm, that's, that's the spirit at work in your life and wrestle with him and answer the question honestly. And whatever you sense the spirit inviting you to trust him for or do, act upon, do it courageously. Here's the slide. You'll see this up. Um, Mandy prayed earlier, Jesus, show me what it means to follow you. He's shown us. So we, he's shown us. So now we can choose. We bring, bring our hearts to him. Uh, the mercy you shows the mercy you know how much and how great's the mercy you know. Oh, is it flowing to others? If only the pure in heart will see the Father. Are you pure in heart? You know, this is, are you a believer? Have you come to put your trust in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus? Peacemaking is God's character. Are you actively making peace or passively keeping peace? You know, I, I'm mostly passively keeping peace. It look like to actively be a peacemaker in relationship. And if persecution is the pinnacle of living the Beatitudes, what ways are you seeking rather to avoid loss, pain, and mistreatment rather than embracing them in following Christ? I'm going to give you a, a minute. So 
as the band comes up, um, we're going to take the Lord's table. And so you may want to go ahead and get the Lord's table elements, if you will, please. If you're in the room, you know, go ahead and peel the top off and take your wafer. Now peel the top off and have, have your juice. If you're at home online, would you get the elements? I've got my elements here in front of me. And uh, let's look at these application questions before taking the table itself. Ask the Spirit to show you your own application. ask you to take the elements, please, with um, the bread and the cup in your hand. Um, if you're in the room, can, may I ask you to stand, please? At home, if you want to stand, you can, or you can remain seated. I want you to think about this. Jesus lived the Beatitudes to perfection and it cost him his life. Why would we think that, though we don't live it to perfection, but if we're following close, that it wouldn't cost us the same? Think about this. Jesus is going to go on to say in Matthew, if you, if you want life, lose it. Lose yours and live mine. Pray with me. Lord Jesus, we hold in our hands symbols of your life, symbols of your death. You demonstrated by your life that the blessed life comes only through death. And your death opened up the gates of heaven for all who would put their trust in you. We recognize it's our death, our dying to our own agendas to live for yours by which others who don't know you come to find you. It's in following you so closely that others will put their life, death, and put their trust in your life, death, and resurrection. As we take the table today, Lord, may we live the reality of this table tomorrow and every day. For your body broken for us. Lord Jesus, we give thanks. Take and eat. And for your bloodshed, your life poured out that we might be blessed, Lord, and that we might bless others. We give thanks, take and drink.
Father, in this table we proclaim that Jesus died on the cross for our sins, was buried and rose again. Happened in history. We look back and remember, but we also look forward and remember that you are coming again, Lord Jesus, to set all things right. Father, the persecution that ends in death in the eyes of the world is defeat and loss. But in the ways of your kingdom, to be persecuted in living for Jesus is actually to be blessed. And should it lead to death, even as it did for Jesus, it's not defeat and loss. It is victory. It is gain. And may this truth arise from our hearts as we sing, as we shout from our lips this great victory in Christ. All to your glory, we pray. Amen.